words and proclamations of what we believe. And sometimes the choruses is just crying out to God and saying a prayer to Him. Either way, we lift up Jesus through song, through music, using our voices, using our minds to meditate on Him. As we go to our prayer time, I just think of those that uh, have struggles, for those of us that have thoughts that we dare not share in public, for those of us that are doubting or going through trials that have surgery upcoming. I think of my sister-in-law, Jen. We were able to celebrate my nephew's graduation yesterday, but my sister-in-law, Jen, was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer last year that had progressed to her liver. It's been a year of treatment, and uh, on the 14th, she's actually having the colon cancer removed and 60% of her liver, but the remaining 40% still has cancerous lesions. And so we lift up my brother and family. We think of Stacy, who recently had some tests done, and that it's going to mean a lot of what-ifs and figuring out the next steps. We think of those that have moved away. Maybe you've heard, maybe you haven't, but the Eroses are moving, and we are going to pray for Brian and Heather and their family. They're uh, three boys, Rylan and Lucas and Bowden. And we just think about what this means for us as a local church, what we're going through. And it's one of those things where we pray, God bless us. And God's saying, I am refining you to be used to a broken world that is in much need, that's enduring such trauma that they might know that I am Savior. And we say, God, but it's so hard. And Jesus, through his scripture, says, but I am with you. You can be still and know that I am God, that I am good, that I am Savior. So with that thought, Let's go to prayer. Jesus, we thank you that you are good, whether we believe it at times or not, that you are good, that you are faithful, that your love and your grace and your mercy are with us, that you are trustworthy, that you are capable, that you are not overwhelmed, you are not caught off guard or surprised, that you do not wring your hands and question what to do next, but you have a plan. So, Jesus, may we faithfully take that next step forward as you reveal to us through Scripture your desires. May we make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil to reveal and display your love, your truth, your grace, your salvation. May we not get wrapped up on what we can do, what we can handle, but only because of your presence. Admit that we are nothing without you, but in you. We have abundant life. We are free. We are healed. So Jesus, as many requests are represented, we thank you that you hear our prayer. We thank you that we can cry out to you and say thank you because you are with us. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. And we are a church that believes that it is better to give than to receive. And that does mean tithes and offerings, which we are grateful for. But this week, Adam's got the full experience. Adam actually leaves us the end of this week, which I'm really sad about because, man, I kind of caught my breath. And it was like, ooh, I can sleep in. But uh, it's so good. But now with Adam leaving, 
I just look at all the opportunities that God's provided for Adam to experience through us, the local church, because you give tithes and offerings. You help us. So we reached out to a single mom who had sick children and her herself had COVID. We were able to give her a gift card to Hannaford Supermarket and buy her dinner because we're the church and we could afford to do that. We were also able to help a single mom with two children that her vehicle was out of gasoline and she asked if there's any possible way that we could help with gasoline and the question did come up are we teaching people to fish or are we just giving fish and then i caught myself god's given us the resources to bless people let's bless people well jeff you know i know the budget i know black and red i know what numbers mean but i also know that god wants us to be the church and what a blessing it is to be able to give and to help and to extend a hand of opportunity in god's name to people that are just saying if the church was ever available i need the church now and we say it's not just the church it's the body of christ we are the family of god and we just thank you whether you give online this is for those online uh the be generous tab at hopeforvermont.org or mailing checks to the chapel campus or giving in person we are just so fortunate that we've been able to bless others because we've been obedient in tithing and giving to the local church but now it's time for adam to come and lead us and adam has control of the clicker today so last week I may have messed up, maybe on purpose, maybe just to see how he'd respond, which is a bad mentor thing to do. But now you're in charge of the clicker, and then we're going to close with communion. But as we would, we're going to pray for Adam. But Adam is uh, traveling to New Jersey with me on Thursday for district conference. Uh, for those that are unfamiliar, disfamiliar, uh, once a year we meet all the churches, 140 churches on this district gathering to do some of the business, but the ordination service actually has 18 ordinands, which means what? 18 people preparing for vocational full-time ministry, which is amazing. I actually just met with somebody and they were saying the Catholic Church is struggling to find priests. They were talking about another denomination that cannot find clergy, and we were just saying, Wow, 18 on a relatively small district, small denomination. It's pretty exciting what God is doing. And Adam enters his senior year, if you'll come over, Adam, put you on screen, um, at Houghton College this fall. And uh, he's a theology and psychology major. So if it's vocational ministry, great. If it's another ministry that God's using you to be his light, then great. So we don't put pressure on you. We just want to pray for you. So as you would, just extend your hands uh, as we agree in prayer. You might not agree with what I say, but we can agree that we're praying for Adam. So, Adam. <laughs> Too many laughs. Like, I didn't think it was that funny. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for Adam, for his life. We thank you for the beautiful, wonderful creation that he is, the masterpiece that you knew before he was even born, that he would be here to bless us, but even more, the plan for his life. 
to declare your word, whether it's being a vocational minister or not, to display your truth through whatever direction you lead him, that he would go and he would be your witness because he knows your love. He knows your truth. He's experienced you, your forgiveness. He's experienced your life, your abundance. He's experienced your goodness. May he go with confidence knowing that you will provide his wife. He will go with confidence that you will provide his paycheck. He will go with confidence knowing that you have not forgotten him, that he is worthy of your abundance, of your blessing, of your unction. So, Father, we thank you for the short time that we've had with Adam, but we thank you that he is part of your family and we are joined together because of your love and your sacrifice and your goodness. So God bless Adam as he preaches, but even more, just continue to bless his life that he would know you and make you known. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. <laughs> good morning i just want to say it's been really awesome being with you guys and this church has really encouraged me in my walk with christ because a lot of the churches i've been at there are a lot of people there but they're not engaged with their actual faiths and here even just sharing my testimony this friday i was able to see into the lives of all the people there and that they're really engaging with their faith, and that's really cool to see. So thank you, guys. Need to get the clicker. Okay, got it. No, no. Uh, this message is called Even the Worst People. John 8, 1 through 11, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early then, sorry, I shouldn't have included that last verse, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, the law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. I go to a school a little over an hour from Rochester, called Houghton College, and I am on the track and field team. Over the past year, we have been dealing with COVID restrictions, having to wear masks while we work out and race, which has been pretty, pretty awful. 
Uh, but they've finally been letting up. But one of the few COVID regulations that's still left is that if someone does get COVID, they have to go into quarantine for five days. And everyone else that was friends with that person also has to be alone for five days. So I got one of those emails saying that I have to be alone for five days. And I was like, ah, I hate, I love people and I hate being alone. And it was also the week before finals week. So I had like 40 pages of essays to do. So I got a COVID test the next day that said negative. So I was like, I don't need to self quarantine. So I didn't. Four days later, before my self isolation was done, I got another email saying you were close contacted again. I texted my coach that and he was like, how did you get close contacted if you were supposed to be self-isolating? And I was like, oh, I don't know. I, I was, I went outside once or something. I tried to avoid the question and he ended up finding out the truth and got really, really mad at me because I had to mix, miss the next meet, which I had already missed the last track meet. And he said I endangered the entire team from going to the championship race the preceding week. Have you ever experienced something like that? You're caught up doing something sinful and you convince yourself it's right, but then you're caught in the act of it. I'm sure all of you have experienced this at one time or another. You get found out, you try everything you can to avoid punishment. And you avoid and you avoid and do everything in your power to avoid responsibility. I remember walking outside my house in New York and seeing a bear in my garbage. The bear looked at me and scrammed. It went straight into the woods and bolted. It knew it wasn't supposed to be my garbage. And it wanted to avoid all the responsibility of me possibly attacking it or shouting at it or doing anything who knows what. I know my one friend shot at it with a bow and arrow one time. <laughs> Having experienced this kind of embarrassment or shame that comes with this, I can only imagine what the woman is feeling in our passage today. In the midst of her sin, she was blatantly caught. She was given no option to try to avoid the consequence. Having lost all sense of control and facing all the responsibility of her actions in one single moment, she was at the mercy of the scribes, the Pharisees, and Jesus. If you've not been caught doing anything sinful, good for you, but you probably need to confess. But often when we do, we're often like the bear sprinting off into the woods. There are consequences to sin, and it is natural for us to want to avoid these consequences. In high school, I played the drums, and my friend and I like to go jam in the band room. And the only thing with that is that you needed a supervisor, a teacher there, while you played. And one time we went there, there was no supervisor. We went in anyway, because we wanted to play. And drums are really loud, so obviously a teacher heard it and came by. I was like, uh, there's no supervisor here. Then my friend who spoke up while I was hiding because I knew I was doing something wrong, said, oh yeah, we have special permission to be here. And I was like, looked away. <laughs> then she said, okay, walked away suspiciously. I ended up going apologizing, but we can see in that situation just how much humanity wants to avoid consequence, avoid 
the punishment and the responsibility of owning up to your own actions. Often we will remain in our sin for prolonged periods of time because we don't want to face these consequences. And the responsibility of owning up to what we have done gets more scary and scary, and we end up going deeper and deeper into our sin. If you've ever experienced one of these situations, you can imagine how this woman felt. She was literally caught in the act of adultery. I don't think it gets much worse than being caught in the act of adultery. Not a fun time. She's being dragged around by the people that just want to use her and has not even a shred of hope of talking her way out like my friend did in the band room. As much as we have all been the woman caught in sin, we have also been the Pharisees. People that claim to be trying to administer justice, but do not include crucial parts of the story that lead to true justice. Like in this case, where is the man? She was caught in adultery. That means there had to be someone else there. And to be true to the law, it requires that both the man and the woman stand trial for their adultery, which the Pharisees overlooked. What is worse about the Pharisees and scribes that brought her to Jesus is that they were just trying to use her to get to Jesus, to make him say something that they could blame him and condemn him for. They took the responsibility upon themselves to blame and condemn this girl and Jesus at the same time. The Pharisees call something justice just to get what they want. They use that woman who was probably scared out of her mind to test Jesus. I see people do this all the time. People live in sin and they justify themselves by saying, I'm better than this person or saying, well, but there's this huge world issue out there. What, what's my sin? What, what meaning does that have in this context? They focus so much on others that they forget that they are responsible for themselves. When we condemn, it is always unjustified in light of our own sin. Yet, we do it time and time again and overlook our sin. This one person I knew always upset people they were around. Disclaimer, it is not someone in this room. But she would criticize me very consistently, analyze me, manipulate me, and lie to a lot of people in my life. It's not Jay. <laughs> she would curse at you if you made a bad move in a board game or the move she didn't like. And she would constantly criticize. One night I was so angry, thinking how dare she treat me that way? How dare she? She made me sad angry and try to manipulate people I knew. How dare she? There was a time I found out something I, that she did that made me very, very, very upset. I could have responded very reactively to her, but thankfully it was over text. Sorry, forgot the clicker. Um, I was about to explode. I got the text started pacing around my room, hitting my stuff. And eventually, because of the passing of time and God working in my heart, I calmed down. 
God humbled me and I was able to send a text that valued her. This was hard. The situation was tense and my anger was raging. But when I took time, I was able to stop and remember how imperfect I was. How I was equally responsible for mistakes that I had made from the past. I think Jesus makes the Pharisees take on a similar responsibility in verse 7 in our passage today. Saying, let him who is without sin throw the first stone at her. You can imagine the silence that follows. They have condemned her. They have taken all this energy to bring her to Jesus. To be reminded that they're also sinners. They were looking for a reactive Jesus. Someone who would fire back an answer. Someone they could blame. Someone they could condemn. Yet he did not give them the satisfaction. He stopped. Knelt down on the ground. In the midst of all the tension that was going on around him. And wrote with his finger on the ground. It reminds me of when I grew up and got into arguments with my peers. I was so bad at arguments because as soon as any critical thinking came along, I would forget what the conversation was about. I would blank or I would just stay silent. The other person would walk away saying, I won that. And I was like, no, no, you didn't. I was left there still processing, wondering why I couldn't respond. I've learned that even though being slow is not great for arguing. It was really good to develop my humility. God was actually giving me the ability to stop and to listen instead of just reacting to what was happening to me. Instead of heated debates, I was left alone to think and to reflect aside from the emotional passion of a heated argument. I came to better clarity and understanding because I was not being swept up by the energy of the conversations. Just like my slow processing skills have helped my humility, so stopping and listening will bring clarity. Just like Jesus shows the first thing we need to do in these types of situations where we want to blame and we want to condemn is to stop and to listen to what is going on and what is really happening. The next thing we need to do is examine ourselves. Let the one without sin throw the first stone. I think we can subconsciously get to a point where we put ourselves on a pedestal above other people and say, I'm not that bad. I don't do drugs. I don't do alcohol. I don't commit adultery. We can butter ourselves up as being better than everyone else and take the seat of judgment on the throne of God and condemn instead of taking responsibility for our own lives and seeking the best for others' lives. I think it's very interesting as well how the older ones left first. Living a longer life, which I wouldn't know about that, I think gives people a lot more opportunities to sin and I think it gives a lot more opportunity to reflect upon what has happened and the mistakes that have been made. Their screw-ups, their mistakes, all 
become visible when Jesus says, the one who is not sin, throw the first stone. We are called to kneel before God when wanting to be reactive. We are called to wish God's grace upon and love the hurt and the broken, even if they try to hurt and break us. It is a lot easier said than done, but it is a lot more like Christ. When we condemn, we miss God's call for our lives. In verses 9 and 10 in our passage today, we can see the one and the only person who has the opportunity to condemn and to blame is Jesus, and he gives grace. He gave grace, he forgave, he empowered, and he loved. A good question to ask is, have we been Jesus in the situation? I know we've been the woman, we have sinned, and we have been the Pharisees, we have blamed others to cover up our own sin. But have we been Jesus? Are we just caught up in sin? My favorite part of the whole story is when Jesus stops and he kneels to the ground and he just writes with his finger. No one actually knows what he wrote. But one of my favorite theories is that it goes back to Moses receiving the tablets of the law. And it says back in Exodus 9, Deuteronomy 9.10 that the finger of God wrote out the tablets, and he gave it to Moses. And Jesus on that day was saying, I was the one that gave you those tablets, and I am the one who's writing today. Catching her in the very act of sin, he shows that the law's purpose was to empower people to greater love. It was not for condemnation of people that have done wrong. It is for forgiveness. It is for restoration of people that have fallen into sin so that we might be God's people. In verse 11, Jesus shows that it is not that sin does not matter anymore. It is that we are now empowered to be free from sin. He makes a powerful statement about who has the right to condemn. And gives us an example of our opportunity to empower. What he did was much different than letting sin slide. He helped her come to a place where she was able to take responsibility for her sin so that she might grow closer to God instead of being stoned in the square. He does not desire to condemn people. He desires that everyone should be saved. He made the law so that the Israelites would be close to him and he died on the cross so that we could be close to him. Sin gives us a choice. We can be close to God or we can stray from God. In this passage, Jesus does not condemn because sin has already condemned enough. 
often we condemn, when we condemn, there's no legitimate concern for the person or the person we are condemning. Imagine a person that steals a loaf of bread from a baker. The loaf of bread is stolen and that baker is upset. But in the woman's perspective, maybe she was deathly hungry and she would have died if she did not have that loaf of bread. And it does not make stealing a loaf of bread right, but it should create an empathy for us to not speak so quickly, to look to love instead of to condemn wrong actions, but seek holistic growth for these people by Jesus Christ. If we begin to show, like Jesus, to take responsibility for ourselves and how we have been forgiven and so privileged and blessed when we were annoying and unattractive and disgusting and hateful, then we can start to do the same to other people. Have you ever noticed that the very people that are the most broken are the people we reject the most quickly. There was no discussion of why the woman was committing adultery. She was being judged and condemned by the Pharisees because of the outward action. I've known a lot of people who are socially awkward and they try to enter social groups, but they get kicked out because they're socially awkward. And I know a lot of people, a lot of those people grew up with bad parents, parents that split up or they didn't have the best childhood or a lot of things that happened to them. And all they need is to be loved and they are rejected. They're pushed away because they don't have the social skills that would develop if they were accepted into a social group. A person that is annoying is often just a person that has a lack of love in their lives or has had the lack of love in their lives. The people that are mean, manipulative, or awkward are often just people that are broken. We need to learn to stop and to take responsibility for our own sin and be able to say, I am unworthy of condemnation, but I have the opportunity to love. We have the opportunity to love them by gently helping them become aware of problems that keep them from experiencing love. We can simply be with them. We can listen to them. We can empathize and rejoice with them and whatever the circumstances merit. But we can also set up boundaries. Because truthfully, broken people are rejected because they're often draining. And the best thing we can do to love them is to say no sometimes, to say that's enough for now, but do it in a loving way, in a way that honors them and values them, but does not drain yourself so that you can continue to have relationship and stand in the tension of brokenness, just as Jesus is doing in our passage today. Instead of blaming, Jesus calls his church to lead his people into greater intimacy with him. This fall, I had a job as an RA for my dorm, which means I'm basically like the 
the floor mom for everybody. And I, on the first day, this guy named Noah came and he, he said, I said, you don't have your paperwork filled out. He said, yes, I do. I was like, it's not here. And he's like, yes, I do. And he argued with me for 10 minutes. And then another time he put this chair in the hallway and I was like, you can't put that chair in the hallway. And he argued with me for another 10 minutes. And I constantly became frustrated with this guy. A month later, he left school and I was like, ah, relief. I don't have to talk to him. I don't have to argue with him anymore. But then another month passed and I found out he went to a ski lift and jumped off and he committed suicide. And it just goes to show you don't know what people are going through. And it wasn't wrong for me to be frustrated, but it was wrong for me to avoid. To not understand that some people, we can't understand where they're at. And we need to take the opportunity to be with them, to stand in the tension of their brokenness and say, I will love you because I have been loved in my brokenness. Jesus stands in the tension and says, I will love you when no one else will. It wasn't my fault that he committed suicide and I couldn't blame myself, but I could value his life by taking responsibility for my every action. Every instance I meet a broken person that frustrates me or makes me feel uncomfortable or even manipulates me, I can take action to be present, to be loved, and I think that's what God calls us to today. He calls us not to let sin slide, but to be there as witnesses to the truth that God heals broken people and to be testaments of that. I am a broken person. And God loves me. He loved me when I was unattractive, when I was annoying, when I was broken. I believe that is God's call for us today. Thank you. Uh, let's pray. Father, we give you the praise. We thank you that you have loved us. In our darkest time, in our worst time, you were there. We give you the praise and all the glory. And Lord, let us never forget the great expanse of your love for us so we might never miss an opportunity to show it to someone else. Amen. Thank you, Adam. As we prepare for communion, um, I don't know if it's a lack of faith or not, but I just recounted, I don't think I have enough uh, communion cups out, so um, there are more uh, as you would like, but the passage I'm going to read, it's a... Uh, it's not the passage I typically read, and uh, I like what it says in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 31. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, 
and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of the wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people in our agreement. Confirm with my blood, do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. This, that is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. So we're going to kind of think on these things. As Adam shared, it's easy to thank God for the forgiveness of our sins, but quickly identify the sins of someone else. So this is my friend, Chris Stevens. He's playing uh, one of my favorite hymns. It's only one verse of it um, on the violin. And as we prepare for communion, let this, the love of God, just prepare us for receiving communion. I'm going to invite Joe Hicks, if you would just join me up front, Adam, if you would come up front. Uh, Joe's been a mentor of mine for several years. I think he would identify as that. Uh, and Adam, I've been able to invest in, and I think we're supposed to learn from someone and invest in someone. And I've learned from you, Joe, and I've been able to invest in you, Adam, and hopefully I've learned from you, Adam, and invested something in you, Joe. And as we think of communion, how Jesus prayed over the elements, how they represented the body and blood of Jesus. So we're going to pray, and then because I'm using videos that can't be streamed, that's why it's kind of quirky, but that's the life of what we have right now. But um, the elements are hidden under this uh, plastic, you find the wafer that tastes like styrofoam, but somebody that grew up Catholic, they said, oh, it reminds me of when I was young. So there is that nostalgia effect, and then the juice is underneath. And so if you are nervous about uh, getting grape juice on you, uh, purple grape juice that stains red grape juice, then there is white. So if you're uh, worried about staining, there is white. There's no symbolic uh, approach to one being better than the other. But um, I'm going to ask Joe if you would pray for the wafer representing the body of Christ. And then I'm going to ask for you to pray for the juice representing uh, the blood of Jesus. And then I'm going to play a song. As the song plays, feel free to take the cup and return to your seat. And then again, because this scripture was so 
powerful, that we're reflective on, can we take it with a sincere heart? And if you can't, that's okay. Just don't take communion. I mean, that's fine if you walk out and you throw it in the trash. That That's okay. That's actually better than us saying, well, the person next to me, they're watching, or, well, I'm at church, so I probably should. No, use this time to understand God's great love for us, where he said, go and sin no more. Not, hey, I can have communion, and I can't wait to sin later because God loves me that much. Because what a messed up thought process that is, but I found myself there in the past. But would you pray for the wafer as it represents the body of Christ, and then Adam after pray. Our Lord, we're humbled. Every time we consider that you are creator as well as our savior took our sin, my sin, upon yourself, you allowed that beating to come onto your body, that crown of thorns to be thrust onto your head because of my sin. We're grateful, Lord, when we consider that you were broken in our place, that you were willing to be a sacrifice in our place. Thank you, Lord Jesus. As we partake of the wafer this morning, that we remember that this is your body broken for us. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, I pray that we would remember your blood. I pray that you would impart in our hearts how much this truly means to us. And how much love that represents. God, we give you the praise. We give you the glory. We ask that you would do something special in our hearts today. That you would grow us and make us more like you. And so once more, as this song plays, please come and take uh, the elements, return to your seat. Do not open them. Just pray and reflect as uh, this song uh, plays through, and then I'll lead us as we partake together. 